0: Hi there, this is Jen Lawrence, and you're listening to The Workplace Edit, a podcast for people development professionals, HR executives, and business owners who want to make work a better place to be. On this podcast, we talk about ways to address the talent gap, tackle reluctance to return to the office, deal with employee retention, burnout, discrimination, and other workplace issues, all with a trauma-informed lens. Welcome hey there it's jen thank you for joining me on another episode of the workplace edit today i wanted to talk about the impact of trauma-informed thinking on the critical thinking process and how having knowledge of trauma and trauma-informed systems can make you a better critical thinker. So no doubt if you're an HR or a business leader or owner, you've likely employed critical thinking in your job. Um, Critical thinking basically helps you take a systematized view to solving problems and making decisions so that you don't fall into thinking traps and biases. So, you know, an example of a thinking bias is like a confirmation bias, where people make snap decisions about something and then go around and find evidence to support their view. Or you've probably heard of groupthink, where social dynamics can push people to make less than optimal decisions because they want to be liked by the group. So thinking biases are automatic responses that are mostly concerned with keeping us safe. You know, if you think of the loss aversion bias, where we fear losses even more than we desire wins, because, you know, in the past, losses could be really big. I mean, they were the things that would cause us to eat food that was unsafe or be chased by a predator. There's also the negativity bias where we tend to give negative things more weight when making decisions than positive things. And again, you know, Negative things can harm our lives, whereas positive things just kind of add to our lives. So it would make sense that we tend to give a lot more weight to negative things, even though from a rational perspective, that might not make sense. So when you have a clear critical thinking method, it can help you avoid common thinking biases. It can help you generate a wider range of options, and it can help you choose solutions that have the most commitment from the group to implement Um, And whether that's, you know, the kind of critical thinking process that, you know, I've written about in the book, Engage the Fox. It might be design thinking, which is a, a common critical thinking process. You know, there are lots of ways you can look at structuring thinking, particularly when it's thinking done by teams in organizations to help you avoid some of the biases. But to make critical thinking even more effective, it can be helpful to take a trauma-informed lens. So, you know, first of all, why is this important? Well, you know, as I've mentioned on this podcast before, 70% of folks have experienced trauma. That's a World Health Organization uh, study, and that was done in 2017. So that was pre-COVID. And while, you know, we haven't seen all of the post-COVID numbers yet, anecdotally, you know, the medical community, uh, businesses, they are reporting that more and more folks seem traumatized. You know, if we didn't suffer a direct health impact or lose loved ones over the pandemic, you know, certainly we probably had either financial setbacks or fears. Um, We may have had to work differently, which could have been stressful. We might have trauma left over from feeling locked down. Um, And there was even a lot of drama about, you know, lockdowns and vaccinations. And so, you know, within families, there was a lot of strife. And so people have trauma around that. And there's still the fear that it's, you know, maybe not over or could happen again. So we're dealing with a fairly traumatized population. And as much as we like to think that people bring their kind of professional selves to work, um, we bring our whole selves to work. And so if we experience trauma, that trauma is going to come into the workplace and is going to have an impact on the way that we think. And, you know, by looking at our thinking processes and adjusting them for trauma, we can make the thinking process that much more effective. So just to go back to a little primer on trauma and the brain, um, trauma activates our survival brain. So that's the more ancient part of our brain that's concerned with survival functions, involuntary responses, unconscious learning. You know, it's when you touch the hot handle of a pan, you immediately let it go. You don't have to think, you know, this is hot, I should let this go, let it go, it just happens. So that is that survival brain at work. Now the neocortex is the newer part of our brain, and that's the part that's responsible for critical thinking. You know, it's the part that can see, is is this an ethical decision? It can be creative, it can weigh all sorts of variables and come up with the best solution but that part of our brain takes a back seat to the part of our brain simply trying to keep us safe. So, you know, that has to be taken in mind when you are leading a team through a critical thinking process. Um, if they have been traumatized, the central nervous system is activated in a way that makes us really concerned about our safety. And that's when people go into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode. Um, You know, I've talked about before how we're seeing a lot of flight in terms of people quitting their jobs and leaving the workforce, even when they don't have another job lined up. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of fight. You know, political polarization is a lot about fight. Um, A lot of conflicts at work are about people being in a traumatized state and being in fight mode. We're seeing freeze. You know, we're seeing a lot of people being ill or like refusing to come back into the office, you know, not wanting to make decisions. That's a trauma response. And I think what we really see in terms of critical thinking is a lot of the fawn response. And fawning is a response that can be quite insidious because it leads people to be people pleasers. In the name of social safety, and that's the kind of thing that fuels groupthink and bad decisions. You know, whenever a really kind of poor decision is made by a company, um, and we think like, how the heck did all these really smart people make this really awful decision? It's often groupthink at play. Uh, often there will be, you know, quite a a, a domineering leader. Um, a bit of a bullying environment and even though all of these smart people know that this is really not a good idea nobody feels safe enough to say it and so it tends to lead corporations into making some some pretty spectacularly bad decisions so a critical thinking process can be really helpful for you know screening and calling out thinking biases but only if the two following conditions exist so one the brains of the critical thinkers must be in rational rather than survival mode. Because otherwise, they're just not capable of critical thinking, no matter how professional people are, no matter how much their willpower is at play. um, Our brains are designed to keep us safe. So if people don't feel safe, they're not going to be in their best critical thinking minds. And the second point is that, you know, critical thinkers need to be aware of the thinking biases that are really escalated by trauma that can influence the thinking process. So, in an earlier podcast episode, I've talked about the window of tolerance. So, you know, this is this uh, Dr. Dan Siegel's term for creating emotional safety to help ourselves and others get into that rational part of our brain. And so, before any critical thinking exercise, it's important to make sure everyone's in a place where they feel safe and socially connected. I mean, I think. Most folks know before a, say, you know, brainstorming exercise, you're going to make sure that the room is comfortable, that people are hydrated. that There's not like, you know, a fire siren going off. It's similarly important to take care of people's emotional needs, like as well as their physiological needs. So if there are bullying types in the room, it's really hard to think critically. If people are worried about job security, it's really hard to think critically. The best thinking comes from employees who feel emotionally safe at work. So to create a good environment for critical thinking, it's important to widen that window of tolerance by creating some emotional safety. You know, and that can be done through, you know, small things like wellness breaks, you know, allowing boundaries, like not allowing meetings to spill over into the night, Uh, somatic practices, so having some breathing exercises, some stretch breaks, Um, showing empathy to each other, you know, like asking people how their weekends went and showing concern if someone, you know, missed work because they were ill Uh, and just having general social support. It can also look like job security, talent plans, training, rewards plans, team building. You know, these are all ways to make people feel safer at work and to make better decisions. Now when we're trying to make decisions, create systems, solve problems or be creative, it is important to look at things through a trauma lens. And so the trauma lens is a little like extending if you're if if you're knowledgeable about design thinking, they have an empathy stage where when you're looking at defining a problem, you look at the stakeholders and you try to understand where things come from from their perspective. So you know, if you're designing a new shoe you're gonna look at things through the lens of the person who's gonna buy the shoe let's say it's a shoe for people with wide feet well you're gonna think what are the issues of people with wide feet you know maybe they have something to do with arch support or something like that so you're really going to try to see things from their perspective and so trauma lens is a little bit like that empathy stage of design thinking but expanded and it's at every stage of the thinking process. And it's really the most important thing. So it's very important to engage all of the stakeholders to really co-create this thinking process. So this isn't like we're the company, we own this thinking process and yeah, we're going to run a little focus group with the people with the, with the wide feet. This is a, we're going to partner with the people who are going to use this and we're going to co-create how we make decisions. So you're also screening the process itself for potential harm. And an example I like to use, um, you know, I'm, a bra- I'm an introvert. So I don't tend to love like brainstorming sessions where people are just yelling ideas and someone's writing it down on a whiteboard. Um, but for someone who has trauma, say they've had a boss or a colleague who is very bullying, you know, criticizing them, micromanaging them, microaggressions. A brainstorming session could feel threatening if that person was in the room. If someone feels like their job is insecure, you know, maybe they've been told we're cutting 10% of the workforce and all of your jobs are, you know, going to be scrutinized. Someone may not feel comfortable challenging a less than optimal idea from someone who they see has power. So, you know, it's really important to screen the process itself for potential harm to see is this designed to get the results that we're looking for? Is everyone going to feel safe to truly share ideas? Um, And, you know, speaking to a point that I just mentioned, but really emphasizing it because it's so important, is make sure all stakeholders are involved in the process. You know, it's amazing how many people decisions are made without HR in the room. So often I hear about not-for-profits who decide how to best serve a client group without having the client group be part of the process. So, you know, a lot of harm is done through acts of omission, even when everyone has really excellent intentions. Like, I truly do believe everyone has excellent intentions. It's just that we're busy and we want things to move quickly and we want to get to a point where we have a decision. And so, you know, sometimes it feels like it's a pain to involve all the stakeholders. It slows things down, but we're not getting at the best decisions if the right people aren't in the room. It's also really important to challenge existing systems, particularly if those systems are the way things have always been done. The reality is the way things have always been done in business in North America tends to use a male, white, straight, cisgender, middle-class lens. And so it's really important to see things from a variety of perspectives. The greater the diversity of thinking, the better the solution. And diverse thinking only happens when there are a variety of folks with a variety of perspectives in the room. If AI or algorithms or large data sets are being engaged to help make decisions, it's even more important that biases be checked because they tend to create a multiplier effect. One employee with a toxic bias can definitely be traumatic. They can traumatize their direct circle, their colleagues, coworkers, clients. But if an algorithm contains a harm-causing bias, the impact can be much, much wider. It can impact an entire organization. So, you know, when coming up with ways of thinking and systems, a question that I find really useful to ask is this one. Whose perspectives were considered? When you think you've gathered all of the relevant information, Ask from whose perspective did you conclude that the data collection was complete? Was this the, you know, idea that a weary project team who was running out of time and budget came up with? Was it a CEO facing pressures by the board to reach a decision demanding answers, said you've got all the data you need? Or... You know, did the idea that you've really completed all the data collection come from a diverse thinking team who had the time and bandwidth to complete the task and is satisfied they have everything they need? Another key question, which is kind of the flip side, is whose perspectives were not considered? Again, who was not part of the process? Who was not in the room? And I'm not suggesting that every critical thinking process has to be perfect, right? It is impossible to make perfect decisions. We will never have the time and budget and bandwidth to think through things perfectly, right? I mean, the reality is we would have to survey like the entire world. But the goal of the exercise is to create better critical thinking that does not have any obvious gaps and isn't causing any obvious trauma. So... The key to thinking critically is really to make sure that you're seeing an issue through a variety of lenses. You know, think of the last time you were at the eye doctor. If you, you know, wear contacts or glasses, they have you look through that machine and they, you know, kind of flip different lenses and say, is, is it clear with this or clear with this? And you have to read the eye chart, you know, depending on the lens you are looking through, things can look really different. Like sometimes you can barely see the letters. Other times things are crystal clear. And that's really what trauma-informed critical thinking speaks to. You know, you might look through your sort of natural lenses, the lenses you look through every day, and things might seem fine. This is a great decision. We've engaged all the stakeholders. You know, everything is good. People like this but it doesn't mean it's fine for everyone. And you know, when you put on a different set of glasses, you might see that, well, actually that's, that's racist, or that's harmful, or that's really laborious for this group of people, or, you know, these people would find that exhausting. That would be seen as a barrier or unwelcoming, or not for me. Maybe it's transphobic. Maybe it comes across as an obstacle. So by engaging more people and more diverse thinkers and taking more time for empathy and compassion and really looking at all of your stakeholders, you can start to refine the critical thinking process where it almost becomes natural because you'll have a group of thinkers and you'll build thinking teams where people automatically start to think of things from other people's perspectives. And you'll start to make better and better decisions. So hopefully that's a a helpful primer for what I mean when I talk about, you know, trauma-informed critical thinking and it's something that you can hopefully use at work even this week, the next time you're making a decision, just think, is there one other person I should call about this? Is there one other perspective I should consider? Is there another way to do this that might involve more people or might make things more comfortable for a larger group of people? So again, those two key questions, whose perspectives were considered and whose perspectives were not considered, can help give you the answers as you build more and more critical thinking capabilities within your team. I hope you have a terrific week, can make some good decisions, engage with some good folks at work and come up with some great business solutions. I'll be here again next Monday to walk through uh, talent management, change management and critical thinking all with a trauma informed lens. See you next week.